Did my sink clap? My I couldn't noise. hear it over my own. I, I couldn't hear it, but that might just be because Zoom likes to mute stuff. It's because yep. I'm so weak. No. Yeah. I'm. I've. I've. I've become so physically weak. Oh no, dear listeners. I first of all, I don't think anyone listening has given me enough sympathy so far. Ever. Oh. Ev- yeah. Oh, oh. Specifically and in general. Um, <laughs> yeah, got a migraine. And the, the, the sheer joy of it is, is we are recording two hours later than usual because I had to tend to family matters. And that made me sound like I was some sort of mafioso. Um, I mean, we don't know you're not. I had to look after a three year old while he ate a poor patrol lolly. Not, not exactly <laughs> the grand larceny that I suggested, but. That two hours delay has lined up perfectly with a migraine kicking in. So, and uh, if I'm perfectly honest, I've had enough of physical discomfort this past week. Um, having wrestled 17 minutes bell to bell mm. on a show that gave us 15 minutes curtain to <laughs> curtain, we went a little bit over. You did great with the time, but you sure did do the time. Yeah, for anyone who who attended and wondered why I spent ages in the ring signalling for a microphone and looking confused before a referee told me to leave, it's because the big promo where I was going to announce the biggest match of my career had to be cut because uh, we spent 17 minutes uh, doing a wrestle fight. Um, So I'm tired from that. Now I've got a migraine. So... Thankfully, you've you've had a, a migraine on a week where like you can you can sit back a bit because I have brought I brought some bonkers nonsense bullshit this week to the podcast. It's been a while since I brought some like weird weird ephemera to the show. I've I've, I've it's been I'm ages back, since I've heard the bullshit. word ephemera. By the way, so right, so round of applause for that <laughs> is the only correct word for a week in which. I had a bath bomb that was video game themed and also a loot box, and a video game asked me for my social security number, which I don't have one of. Brilliant. Mm. I don't know which of those is a good oh, starting if... point for the week, but... Uh... Any, any Anyone who listened to that game wouldn't have a social security number for very long either. <sighs> Fucking hell. Should we start with Tax Heaven Three Thousand? Yes, I'm very, very intrigued uh, by this. Are either of you have either of you seen in passing mention Tax Heaven Three Thousand? I have seen this uh, brought up. I was likewise baffled why anybody would input their personal information into this game. Like I'm nervous so, enough about the tax yeah. preparation software I use. So, like, to give a little bit of background, Tax Heaven 3000 is a visual novel dating sim that takes about an hour to play through that also prepares your tax return with an asterisk. This is amazing. I'm looking at it now. It It is designed for single filers without dependents. <laughs> is that because is that because they don't want, like, loved ones and family members looking right. at it and saying, what the fuck are you doing? Stop it! You jumped ahead of the plot point, which is if you have if you have a partner or a kid, like, oh, you shouldn't be trying to date Iris, which sounds kind right. of like IRS. Uh. But yeah, there are several points in this where, like, you can answer a question and, like, 
it'll be like, oh, no, no, this is too complicated for me to file your taxes, which will be characterized in game as like, this relationship is getting too complicated, I'm out. <laughs> and she'll back the fuck Jesus. out. Um, but like, I want to give some background on like the company that's made this and sort of where it's coming from. Um, it is made by a company called Mischief. Mm -hmm. which their whole thing is doing artsy stunt projects. The last thing I'm aware of that I know they did is they sold a, a box of, of knockoff Fruit Loops where the entire box contained just one very big Fruit Loop. Yeah, we actually talked about this on Let's Talk About Snacks. It, it's just yeah. a huge Fruit Loop. and Yes, this is the big Fruit Loop, people. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not actually worried about them doing anything. It's it's yeah. God, it's well thought out, though. I, I love how meta uh it yes. seems to be and the thing i want to say is like while it is not good practice to encourage people to put their social security number and personal information into a admittedly offline only video game um i do respect what it is trying to achieve this is a game that is like very explicitly about like the problems with companies like TurboTax mm -hmm. going out of their way to hide or get rid of the free options they have for, like, having help working out how to navigate filing your taxes, and the fact that the US tax system is deliberately obfuscated and made more confusing because these companies have lobbied for it to be so, so that they can make money selling you the solution to a problem they created. I yeah. think I've brought this up a couple of times over the years, that... Taxes here are so incredibly fucked up in the sense that they could just, they know how much money we've made. Yeah. They could yes. just tell us to pay that yes. and it would be done. Many countries do. Yeah. They yeah. Ha but, they, but they have this free filing system and there could have been another way. There was another path on the table, but they instead got this promise from industry that uh oh no we'll 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 provide it and we'll market every don't worry it'll be fine no trust us and it's fucking nonsense the thing about this game is it is genuinely trying to provide a f like behind the goof it is functionally trying to provide an alternative to uh companies like TurboTax hiding and obfuscating their free filing systems yes there is literally a, a conversation you have with Iris, the, the romance character, where she straight up turns to you and looks you in the eye at one point and says, don't ever get involved with TurboTax, Laura, they're dangerous. <laughs> That's quite a thing. I've seen a lot of, like, parody dating sims that try and, like, make a joke out of, of crossing something over with the dating sim genre, and often it's, like, really not good. The thing is... There's clearly some people who genuinely have love for the dating sim genre who worked on this, and, like, it's weirdly funny and amusing and well-written, and at the end of it you do get a PDF that is your, uh, for your tax return, but it also has, and I, I have to send you both an image in the, like, uh, chat we have, um, of the cover page that's attached to your, uh, tax, tax return, uh, document, because it's great. It is a little page telling you, like, where you have to send your tax return to because of where where you're filing from, covered in little stickers and scribbles. That is adorable. Uh, it is adorable, but it is genuinely telling you, like, your specific yep. place you're supposed to send your thing to and your date that it's meant to be and the stuff you need to know outside of just, here's your actual tax return. I will say I'm disappointed, though. 
in the the character you date is Iris and not IRS, aka Irwin R. Shyster, uh. the wrestling <laughs> tax auditor from WWF in the eighties. Pay your uh. taxes. He was a baddie in Vince McMahon's WWF. What a surprise! Uh. Yeah, uh, he didn't like paying taxes. Did did or does Vince? But yeah, as as much as like I've seen so many people like just acknowledging this thing exists and not actually like playing it and talking about the experience of it. Yeah. It took like 45 minutes and the way it's framed is just this person wants to get to know you, she feels a genuine connection and by the end of it she's like, "Hey, I've been asking all these like very personal questions. It's because I wanted to get to know you, but it's also because I wanted to do something nice for you. I filed your tax return and this is like the grand romantic gesture that wins you over." And I'm like, you put some effort in here, and you... Like, there are points in this where it goes through, like, the things of, oh, I need this information from your W-2. It's the thing in that's labelled Box 2 that has no other labelling. That's where that comes from. Like, it will... It's a genuinely pretty good walkthrough. I'm not going to say that anyone should be using this, or if they do, that they should be putting their real information in, but... It had some helpful information in a weirdly cute little aesthetic. If I started dating someone and <laughs> they started collecting all of this kind of invasive information from yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. Like, I, well, for one, I would probably not let that get too far. But let's say hypothetically I did. And they're like, oh, by the way, I did your taxes. I'm like, this is such an incredible invasion of my privacy. No. What the hell are you doing? Now, look, I don't want to give too many details about my personal life that aren't already out there but everything being said right now hits very fucking personally (laughs) Uh, well what i will say is this game acknowledges that that is a creepy like uh, that is a bad thing and it does acknowledge that whilst still being like ah dating sim uh so yeah that's that's tax tax heaven 3000 amazing uh yeah also, while we're on nonsense, can I talk to you about the video game loot box bath bomb mm-hmm. I had this week? So, there's a place called Lush in sure. the UK. There isn't one in Center City, Philadelphia anymore, I can tell you that. Is there not? No, they they closed it up. Ah, I didn't know if they were a thing outside the UK. Oh, I yeah, don't, yeah. I don't, I don't know the world. The chain nice. extends into Canada yeah. and the United States. My ex-wife used to work for them. Yeah. They also like cops, just saying. I was given a they them badge at the lush in Meadowhall near where I train. They had little they them and she them and he them and like like lots of pronoun yeah. badges. It's really nice. Plus, I got a bath bomb in the shape of a lobster there once, so uh, L- I'm winning. Lush, lush can be a a little all over the place politically. Oft, often good, sometimes a bit weird. But they make good products. Yeah, they make good products, and generally, I very much enjoy their like standardly priced bath bombs. But I. This week, got a Mario's question mark block bath bomb. I saw these advertised. Yeah. Uh, And first thing you need to know about these is they are considerably more expensive than a usual Lush bath bomb. This was £15 for one bath bomb. The second thing, it's fucking huge. Like, my entire palm was taken up with it. Like, it was palm-sized dimensions on all the faces of the cube. It was a weirdly large bath bomb. Third thing you need to know is the colour that this changes your bath to. 
And there's no <laughs> diplomatic way to say this <laughs> other than over the course of about 10 minutes, your bathwater will turn every conceivable shade of dehydrated piss. Like, it starts like, you know, sort of a light yellow, but by the end, it's like almost a rust orange. Ooh. It's just starting to get very concerned about how much drinking you did the night before. It's the, you're on like day four of a festival and you haven't drunk anything that (laughs) wasn't alcohol and like you've you've pissed in a bottle and gone, oh, that shouldn't be that Mm colour. It is a journey, this bath bath goes in. But the end result is there's a little block of soap inside and mine happened to look like the the mushroom, the power-up mushroom from Mario. And I'm not, I don't think it was worth 15 quid, but it was a story. It's one of those things I picked it up because like, ah, I can talk about this on Pogposition. It's now a write-off. It is. I say it's a loot box. Um, You have the option to just buy one where you know what's inside it already. You can just buy the one with the soap inside of it that's the shape that you want it to be. Yeah. But also, I was like, if I'm spending 15 quid on a thing, at least, like, let me have some some surprise and mystery. I appreciate that they provide the option, though. Yeah, I, I appreciate the option, but I the only way I could justify it to myself was like, okay, there's going to be like, there's going to be like five minutes in which, ooh, I don't know what I'm going to get. Uh, it was the only way I could even vaguely justify it to myself. So um, as much as this had a physical component to it, like any loot box, eventually whatever you had will have no physical value. It'll just, it's, it's money down the drain. Ha <laughs> ha. Hey, that's, you know what? Quality quality joke uh either you played anything this week you want to talk about conrad yeah conrad Conrad. yeah yeah how many hours have you put into bone razor minions so far um let me see what steam is saying 31.7 i put nine hours in this week i've put in too many (laughs) subsequently not enough i'm going to put too many in i am I am already deep in the... This game's fucking good. I have maxed out every (sighs) class, beaten the last boss with, I think now, every, maybe every class but one, um, done the alternate mode with the other boss. Uh, I have been starting on the challenges. I even started doing the fucking card game that's in it, the one that's like... Tetra Master or Triple Triad from Final Fantasy. I've gotten in the guts of this one. I have gotten in its guts. It's a deep well, isn't it? I only haven't gotten further in the guts because I don't want it to be gone and I'm like, I want to just be able to keep coming back to this for a long time, but mm. like anytime I'm like, I'm not sure what to play, this is what I'm jumping to. Yeah, It's it, it's brilliant. I reviewed it since we last recorded Podquisition. Um, I gave it a 10 straight up 10 because i practically have no notes it's brilliant without caveat it's exactly what makes me excited to play a game the core loop of it the sent the constant sense of reward it's got the the compulsive addictive sort of loop of vampire survivors and it's layered that with just that fascinating idea that you're not collecting powers or weapons, you're collecting little units, which just gives it this extra little adorable sense of investment. You make a little army, and they're all little cute skeletons and stuff. It's fantastic. It's fantastic. Conrad and Laura, I don't know how, if you've played with too many of the classes, because I was interested to see what you I've cleared it with were. every class now. 
I haven't unlocked every class, but every class that I have unlocked so far, I have at the very least like un- uh, unlocked their skill tree fully. Mm. Uh, their sort of like uh, soul upgrades. Yeah. I think I've got like three or four characters left to find, but I've played a good amount of a lot of the characters. There's one, the one uh, class that requires a lot of souls to max out. I think I still have a couple of those to fill. Yeah. But other than yeah, I've 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 got them all, all unlocked and all maxed out. And I was actually impressed at just how little grinding is needed. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. by the time I was on the final few classes, it was all academic. Like I had enough soul matters to go round. Yeah. Um mm. it was not a problem. And now what felt like they were gonna be precious things. I'm now spending in runs because yep. you can get some extra yeah. like units out of it, some extra bone raises or whatever. Uh, so yeah, I was interested to see what y'all's favourites were. Mine is the Sprout Bro Potato, obviously. It's a little potato who can get all the little bro minions and his head turns into a pumpkin sometimes and blows up! Brilliant. 10 out of 10. My favourite so far, I think, is the uh, the the sort of wizard class where you get like a bunch of spell slots the spell available. Hollow. Really? Yeah, and the way you like you get bonuses for how many of your spells you haven't used because I basically the way I've been playing them uh, is deliberately not using any spells until I have like a full like all ten of my slots are full of like spells ready to be used, and I use maybe one or two of them, but keep myself at like eight, nine, or ten unspent spells at all times and just enjoy the uh boosted uh stats that i'm getting off of that and that has like i I keep bouncing back and forth but right now that's the one i'm having fun with i hate that class (laughs) that's fair like i truly do it drives me uh kind of nuts i i struggled to clear that stage now part of that's my fault because I did it on the level that is built for spells. <laughs> yeah. Which is significantly harder, but not outside the reach of me completing it with basically every other class. It's just this one. I think yeah. that the spell mechanics of it, you know, and the way it works is really interesting, but I don't feel like they provide enough effect. Did you, uh, fiddle around with the architect mode and like build your environment to take advantage of that class's abilities. So literally today I started playing around with the architect mode, but I had been doing runs and enjoying it prior to touching architect. Mm -hmm. Architect mode is genius. It is. It was pointed Mm -hmm. out to me. It's another skill tree. Yep. But you just apply it to the environment. Like it's just brilliant every time you're like oh yeah this game has like such a like a focused good core loop that doesn't need anything adding to it and then you realize oh there is something else i could add to it and it is 100 percent a good addition yeah like it's it's not bloated because everything works together really well um it all makes sense it feels balanced really well so that if you haven't yet noticed or gone and messed around with a mechanic you can still be having a good time but going and realizing you can do that isn't going to make you suddenly overpowered. It's really good balance. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I think part of it is it's not all about making you stronger. It can just be about making it more fun. Like, yeah, like the, the, the different things you can put down on the map will help you. But it's just fun. 
to have big pumpkins that you touch and make mm-hmm. them blow up. <laughs> it's just fun to have a little altar that you can kill enemies near to turn into overheal hearts. It's just neat and fun and, and thematically it all ties together and makes sense. And I love how just despite it being the the same Survivor-style gameplay, just how much variety they've got, like how it doesn't just mm. hit the same note. Like from class to class, like I thought I was understanding uh, how these classes worked where it's like, oh, they were all emphasizing some aspect uh, like a certain type of unit or a certain sort of class of character like oh the demonologist uses the demon once that makes yeah. sense then you get shit like the doll maker which is another class i oh, really like who yeah. fights using the hero units the enemies mm-hmm. and and they've got their own entire set of of Mm-hmm. Levels like upgrade and upgrade parts, and, and, yeah. yeah, and and the upgrade path for the doll maker, who uses the humanoid enemies, is different from the beast tamer, who uses the beast type enemies, <laughs> yep. who have their own set of skills and interactions and, and synergies. And I think that's my favorite class uh, of them. I think that that one's the most fun to use. I really like the creatures. Yeah, yeah, it's mm. it's up there for me. Um, yeah. Yeah, like just the fact that you've got those classes that are wildly different from, and then like the the Brainiac one, the one that you mentioned last week that doesn't have the units on the map but just projects their powers like a traditional survivor thing. Just that thrown in with everything else, like how every class just feels different. I like the balance for like the the balancing act for the Brainiac one in particular, where you have a lot more control of like. The damage will be coming from you, and if enemies are coming at you, you know that the you, your damage will be coming from you. But the downside being, anytime there's a boss, you have to get near the boss. Yes. You have to be in the boss's vicinity. It makes bosses so much harder, but the regular wave so much easier, and that's a really fun change of pace. Yeah, because at first I was like, this is almost trivial. Oh, wait. Wait, I have to go up yeah. close to the, the fucking yeah. big the, bull the thing swinging fanatic. Yeah. That fucking the thing boss. That's- the thing that's firing like eight arrows at me, I can't just be far enough away yeah. that they've spread out before they get to me. Yeah, just a brilliant game. So good. And then it makes boner jokes. And then it makes boner jokes and references Bernard's watch. Oh my god, I did not know that last week. I was live streaming when oh. I discovered that there was an item called Bernard's watch, and I promptly lost my shit for 30 minutes straight. No one fucking talks about Bernard's no, watch. Like unless you know <laughs> unless you're up on your like British kids media from nineteen ninety-seven, it's not gonna mean anything. But if you know, then seeing Bernard's watch is truly amazing. like referenced in a game is truly amazing. Uh Conrad, what you played this week? Um well I I picked up another roguelike that Mm-hmm. had been in early access, I think, but I hadn't seen it, and it just got release, I believe. Uh, it's called uh, Have a Nice Death. Oh, I've played a bit of this. Yeah. I didn't know this was out, but I've been looking forward to this. Yeah, it's it's a 2D side-scrolling, um, you know, action combat thing where you are death, and... Death apparently got burnout from their job. Mm. Like, they were killing people, and they were like, God, this is exhausting. I know, I'll summon a bunch of demons, and they'll do all the killing for me. But that just increased the paperwork load. 
<laughs> and so then they wound up spending a very long period of time just doing paperwork before they wound up summoning more demons to do the paperwork. And then, you know, the whole the whole enterprise sort of fell apart. And so you are making your way through the corporate offices of Death Incorporated, um, beating up your employees to get them to do their jobs. <laughs> Obviously, yeah. I'm conflicted. <laughs> I, I, yeah. Um, for what it's worth, Death seems like a pretty reasonable boss. Right? And, right. And, and there is a, a union representative. <laughs> who comically goes on strike and states that the employees are on strike and has these lists of demands pops up over and over again and it's it's funny but also kind of sad <laughs> yeah they come to an understanding the game does make it a point to not make the union organizer or union leader or union representative um, a bad person. You totally mm. understand where they're coming from. That's nice. And I think ultimately the thing is sort of premised on the idea that death just wants to take a vacation. Yeah. The general tone seems to be that death would really just like their enterprise to run efficiently and have everybody working there be satisfied with the work that they do. And I, I can't, I don't know. I don't know where I fall on it, like textually. Mm. And, and I have a long way to go because it is difficult. It mm. takes the approach of like a, a hollow knight that kind of sort of speedy combat, you are a bit floaty as a character, which isn't a bad thing or a criticism. It's just you, sometimes these games, you have, you know, a, a firm sense of weight behind the actions of a character, and in others, you don't. And this is one of those instances where you don't. But it lends itself then to a lot of a very quick action, especially aerial action. Controlling with the analog, the direction that you're holding when you attack implements a different attack. So there are ground attacks, there are forward attacks, there are up attacks, and these are used in lieu of a double jump to get you additional height. You have a dash that also functions in air. You know, a lot of just sort of standard stuff there. It does control and play very, very well, but it is also one of those games where every hit is punishment. And while the amount of combat leading up to boss encounters is actually a bit minimal and a little underwhelming, like the, the, the level design isn't inspiring. Very quickly, after just a few runs, you're like, oh, okay, I recognize all of these sort of geographical layouts that I'm going to be experiencing in this set of levels. It's not bad, it's functional, but it's not anything to particularly get excited about. But uh, they're not very dense combat environments there's not a lot of enemies to deal with and they're all pretty easily dispatched with basic weaponry but if you take a hit or two along the way 
in any of them, you're going to be in a pretty bad spot already to deal with the boss. And the heals do not heal very much. You start out able to hold, I think, three heals and each in, in totality, I, I think maybe you can recover 50% of your health with those. They get upgraded once you either max out the three and collect another one of them to one that restores additional health. And um, there, there are a couple of different bars for health that are sort of layered over. You have, you know, like a an injury meter, you know, and then an actual health lost meter. And it it's kind of vague. It uses language and terms that are sort of wrapped up in its own lore that I wish it spoke in plainer English some of the time. Uh, I don't think it communicates in the text necessarily all of its mechanics as clearly as it could or should. I'm a bit at a loss for how some of this works, but in a lot of ways it works just like a lot of these sort of linear stage-based roguelites. You pass through stages, collecting resources at the end of a, a, a level. You get to choose from uh, a couple of options in terms of what your next level is going to contain in terms of reward. You go complete that, get the reward, on yon. Uh, there's mid-bosses, there's final stage bosses. It's all pretty normal. It does play well it feels well written there are a lot of jokes the sound design is delightful every time you die and return to the uh, ceo's office there's this charming little welcome to the afterlife that plays Aww. it's it's <laughs> there's a ton of charm wrapped up into it i like all of the little npc characters that you communicate with as you're progressing along, they're fun. The skill trees, again, now again, I'm totally I'm not fully understanding how they work, but there are skill trees. Uh, <laughs> I, I like its approach to unlocking new equipment and and so forth. Some of the larger enemies in environments will drop a a resource called ingots. These you get to take with you, and you're also awarded ingots at the end of runs based on how you performed and the things you did. You spend them to unlock new items, but each of the items that you can unlock from this shop have a challenge associated with them. And so progressing in the challenge reduces the cost of the unlock, usually to like 95% off. But if you don't want to do the challenge, if there's something that is interesting to you that you want to unlock, you can just pay the full price for it. And they're not outrageously expensive for the most part. You earn a pretty decent supply of ingots on a run without having to progress too far. So you can spend them fairly liberally. I like that a lot. It did wound my gamer pride very quickly, offering me an easier difficulty mode after only three runs. <laughs> which I thought was, wow, that's kind of bold. I should probably, now that I'm like eight, nine runs in, maybe I'm going to take them up on that offer. I think I've made it past the f first proper mid-boss twice, three times, three times, 
And I've only fought the first, like, actual area boss once and got wrecked. It's quite challenging, but it does uh, play very well. It's very satisfying to play, and I will keep picking it up and, and playing it in bits and bobs until I decide what I actually think about it. But there's a, there's a, a fair bit there, and it's it's slickly made, and there's good work put into it. Interesting. I am curious to hear how you get on with it. I played some other things this week, and I'm going to try and get through some of these uh, quickly. Uh, I played a really interesting VR game that I don't want to say too much about. Uh, it's called Before Your Eyes. It is two hours long, and the gimmick... Uh, this game is available in, like, not VR, but I feel like VR is entirely the right way to play it, and particularly PSVR that has eye tracking. It is a game where you you move through a life where every time you blink, you jump forward in time. And there is no ability to see everything. Inevitably, you are going to blink, and in the, the split second your eyes are shut, that moment is gone, and some, you're somewhere else now. It is a really, really effective way of telling a story, and... It is very impressive how quickly that mechanic felt very natural, how quickly I got very invested in the way that story was being told, and how powerful the... I'd been trying so hard to blink and I just blinked without thinking and suddenly I'm somewhere else. How effective a tool that is. It is like two hours long, but I would recommend looking up content warnings before you play it, because it its narrative is not going to be for everyone. It's it's kind of heavy in some places. Ultimately hopeful, but it is an intense and fascinating two hours that really made use of VR and eye tracking. Other than that, things I played, uh, there's more of Laura's Playdate Corner. Ooh, hang on. Oh, Just yeah. uh, settle in, because uh, it sounds like that must be nice! It is nice. Uh, uh, a couple of games I can go through very quickly here. Uh, I talked a couple of weeks ago about a game called Core Fault, which was a Vampire Survivors S game on the play date. You play as a little robot that, a uh, little mining robot, you use the crank to uh, position which direction you're going to go. Uh, once you've killed enough enemies on a floor, you can either stick around and try and like get more mining materials for permanent upgrades, or go down to the next floor. Runs are limited at 10 minutes because your mining robot's only got 10 minutes of battery. Initially, when that released, I had some problems with it. It was a neat idea, pretty good execution. The biggest problems were some of its permanent upgrade system wasn't terribly well explained. There was a little bit of convolutedness about how you got some of the upgraded versions of some of the weapons, and some of the starting weapons weren't terribly balanced, particularly things where uh, they would f have a very low rate of fire, but were meant to be very powerful when they did hit, the balance was a little off. They were either taking a little too long to be worth using, or weren't doing quite enough damage to justify how long you're waiting. They've updated the game. All of those things have been fixed. It's it's no Bone Razor Minions, but it is a it is a nice like it is a it's its own little spin that isn't too similar to Vampire Survivors that has its own niche, and it is definitely one that I will have in the rotation of my Survivors games, even if it's not it's not Bone Razor Minions. I started playing a game called Shining Gadget, which is basically a ghost hunting game. Uh, 
you use the accelerometer in the playdate to sort of uh, sort of aim with your like tracking device to find the ghost, and then have to Luigi's Mansion style uh, suck the ghost in with your your proton pack by cranking the crank while also tilting the playdate to keep the ghost in in shot. There is a like a Pokedex mechanic for it. Uh, and, like, go and find all the various ghosts, and they have, like, very funnily written and amusing lore. It has been fun, like, popping in to do little bits of this game just to get, what's the silly bit of ghost lore I'm gonna get today for catching a ghost? Nothing amazing, but I'm having fun with it. The one I talk want to talk about most, and Conrad, you'll be proud of me, it's one of those conveyor belt automation games. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, there is a game called Factory Farming, <laughs> uh, on Playdate, which uh, it is it is like a Factorio or those kind of games, but it's entirely about like um, planting crops and harvesting them and turning them into products and combining them into the most effect- uh, expensive things you can sell them for. Mm-hmm. Um, it runs really nicely. Like I am impressed at how well this runs with like very large, complicated, intricate networks of of conveyor belts. Uh, lots of things moving at once, and it doesn't slow down at all. It's very well optimized. I very much like the the gameplay loop of how it introduces you to your new mechanics and things that are available. Uh, you can always pause to be like, if you sell X number of this thing, you will get access to it. Be it the next. Uh, piece of machinery or the next kind of seeds or whatever. It's always very clear about what will unlock you access to something new to add to the system. But what's most interesting about this, and I think sets it apart from other games of this kind of genre, is because it's about farming, some of its decisions are deliberately designed to make it very difficult to have a neat and organised system. Because certain kinds of plants will only grow well in certain areas of the map. You have a looping map. If you walk to the left far enough, you'll eventually come back to where you started. But there are different kinds of soil in different places. And if you want the maximum yield from a particular type of crop, you're going to have to plant them where the soil is right for them, which might not be a convenient place where you need to get that crop to, to combine it with some other thing that needs to be somewhere else. It is a game of trying to create intricate spaghetti junctions of conveyor belts and keeping track of what's going where and where does that lead and eventually having like a well-organized and like followable but chaotic mess that functions. It's a house of cards. The way this then sort of escalates is you start getting like multiple biomes and certain things that you can build, certain plants and things like that, the soil they need will only be in, like, different maps. So you start having to go, okay, I want to make this strawberry ice cream, but the vegetable oil I need is over in this other map. I'm going to have to, like, export some of it from this map over to this map, and then have a system to, like, start importing it the other end to combine. And all of these systems just keep layering and layering tiny little bits at a time, very gradually, so it's always like, oh yeah, yeah, I'll just finish this one bit I'm on. Ooh, okay, you've given me something new, and that wouldn't take too long to do. It's very easy to get sucked into. Isn't it, though? Yeah. The mechanic that makes it, like, functionally usable is you have one tile type for when you're trying to make your conveyor belts, which is for a one-tile gap you can send your conveyor belt underground and back up. And you can't, like, stack them to go, like, two or three underground before you come up. 
So you have to start going like, okay, make sure there's at least one tile between these conveyor belts. So if I need to like go between them, I can sort of come up and go back down if something's like going uh, the opposite direction. It it is it is so much less neat and organized than a lot of these games want you to be, and I've honestly found that less stressful because with a game like say you're like Factorio or something like that, I keep wanting to throw it away and start over because I'm like, I could do this more neatly and tidily. Mm-hmm. Whereas with this, I've had that instinct a couple of times and stopped and thought and gone, I mean, I could have it a little neater and tidier, but like, scrapping and starting over isn't going to help fundamentally the fact that this is going to require me to spaghetti junction a bit. And that has taken the pressure off, and I have really enjoyed it. I'm like five hours into this, and... I've unlocked maybe three biomes out of, I think, ten. So it feels like there is a lot of game in here. Uh, I'm really impressed, and I will come back with how it's going next week. Nice. Yeah. Uh, Steph, you played anything else this week? Um, I played the sort of the big game that came out, um, Resident Evil 4 Remake, which I have subsequently completed. Played through the whole campaign of that. It's very good. I have some criticisms that sort of fall in line with what we spoke about when we played the demo and we talked about that it is not as goofy as the original it plays things a little a little disappointingly straight it does have some goofiness yeah uh i do like you know the merchant is back and he's been given an uh i wouldn't say an expanded role but he says a lot more and you know he has a number of shooting galleries uh when there was only the one uh, I recall in the original, he doesn't sound as hilarious as the old merchant. Yeah, he's better and worse. I really like the character and the voice actor, yeah. but I do miss the the sheer ridiculousness of the original. In a vacuum, he might be a better character, but there is definitely something lost if you've played the original and you're like, oh, oh, this isn't. This isn't that. <laughs> yeah, and that's true of a few things in this game. Yeah. What it is, is good. Like, Ramon Salazar, the new look of, of Salazar is awesome. They really nailed the sort of despotic little aristocrat look. There's something very sort of French Revolution about mm. about his look um, in terms of the aristocracy side of it. And it's great on its own, but compared to the camp tricorn hat wearing man-child Salazar from the original, it's just not quite the same. It's all just that little bit more serious. Uh, The exception being the main villain, Sadler, who is way more serious (laughs) and way less enjoyable as a result. I think he's the biggest disappointment, is Sadler. He's in it Mm. a lot less uh, than he was in the original, and none of the dorky affability of the original Salazar is in this guy. Uh, the remake version is very a very flat character who's just, I am generic cult leader guy. Whereas, I always think about the moment when um, Sadler is taunting Leon on the radio and is like, I forget exactly what he does. He, he neglects to mention 
like one of his henchmen by name or something and then leon's like oh a senior moment perhaps and then sadler just goes oh, oh, oh like that like like he just suddenly got the joke and he's like joshing along with it and you don't get that in this one at all uh none of that sort of weird creepy playfulness of of sadler mm. who is just this just a generic doomsday kind of villain, unfortunately. And it's sort of like that, where there is some good goofiness. It's not 100% serious, which I like, but it all just tonally is a bit subdued mm. uh, compared to the original. I'm also surprised at some of the bits that didn't make it in, in terms of sequences that I thought were iconic to the original. Like, you know, you've got some of the obvious, like that big standoff in the house where they're all trying to get in when it's you and Louis and Ashley all in there. Sort of very Night of the Living Dead. Uh, that's in there. But being chased by the giant statue of, of Salazar, not there. That moment where you've got to shoot out the truck that's heading towards you and crashes right in front of you, that always struck me as a very memorable part of the original. And it's just conspicuous in its absence here. And there's not really been any other big set pieces to replace it. Mm. You know, there are some nice subversions of the original for players who are like intimately familiar with certain areas and what happens in them. They'll suddenly surprise you with a little set piece or something. But I don't feel like there's any big sequences to replace the ones that were taken out or reduced, like the famous sequence with Mike in the helicopter. It doesn't feel anywhere near as long in the remake. It feels very brief mm. in comparison, but it is a very fucking good game. As a game on its own, I've had a lot of fun with it, and a different type of fun. That's mm. the thing, because I can criticise it for not being like the original, but at the same time, I don't feel like this replaces the original. I'm drafting a review of it at the moment, and I said, like, I could quite happily go back to the original, having just finished playing the remake, and feel like I'm getting something different out of it. Uh, this doesn't replace, it's more like a, an alternative perspective, a, a, a yeah. different version, rather than a full-on replacing, like a, re a, a replacement like a remake would typically be seen. And on that merit, it's great. And some of the um, gameplay additions are really nice. I'm really pleased with how much mileage they got out of each location, uh, with the addition of things like side quests and stuff like that. Uh, the various side objectives like, you know, shoot five blue medallions in this area or go back to this part of the game and there is a super strong version of an enemy there. Stuff like that. Some people might just view it as, as kind of backtracking, but I got really into it because I, I just really like exploring that world. So I, I really kind of dug that. So I like the extra stuff that's been added. I like the slight modernization of the combat. But I, I think it's very telling that not a lot had to be done to the combat to change it from the original Resi 4 because it's the original still plays really fucking well. And yeah, you know, they've changed it so that you can move while aiming now and they've added that stealth, which is not very important. It just lets you take out like one, maybe two before yeah. you're spotted. So it's not useless. It can take one or two of them out fuss-free, but it's not... This is never going to be a stealth game. 
Mm. I say that before some ridiculous speedrunner or whoever oh, like yeah. finds out a, a 100% stealth run. But, you know, it's there is a little enhancement, a little extra, and it works as a result of that. But other than that, they didn't need to do much, which, you know, some might consider that proof that this remake was unnecessary. I'm still not convinced it was necessary. I think it's very good. But, you know, whether or not something like this is necessary is always going to be a subjective thing. But there are areas that I think I prefer. And by that, I mean, I actually enjoy the Krauser fight now. (laughs) Thanks to the tweaks they've made to the knife. That's Mm. a big improvement. Being able to just, like, press a trigger to swing it and then manually aiming with it to uh, do precision stabs. Using the knife is so much more viable now so that's like where the big overhaul is i like some of the changes made to the boss fights overall the salazar boss fight is so much better so much better now just way more exciting and dynamic and and stuff happening but yeah i have really fucking enjoyed it i do not think it's as well, I was going to say I don't think it's as good as the original, but I think that's a, the wrong way of looking at it. It's oh, I'll just stick to what I said. It doesn't replace the original. It's yeah. another version of it, and that's fine. And it is a very, very good game. Yeah, you've, you've largely you've largely put put what I would have said. I think it's it's not a replacement for the original. It's not unanimously better, but it is offering something different that in that I am enjoying. It, it, I, I haven't finished it yet, but so far, I don't like every change, but there are definitely changes I like, and this is another version of a very good game. Yeah, yeah, I think that's the. And but I tell you what, partway through playing, I got really excited because mm-hmm. clearly. Capcom is, like, trying to build this new series of the old games with Mm. changes to the continuity, just bringing everything in line with the Resident Evil 2 remake. And many people wondered if they'd do 4, and they have, which means next up would be 5, and good fucking luck to Capcom (laughs) navigating Mm. that one. But after that comes 6. One of the games, not just Resi games, but one of Mm. the games that I detest the most. But I love Resident Evil, and I want to love it. And if this leads to a remake of Resident Evil 6 that is good, because let's face it, it couldn't be worse, that will make everything worth it. But first, we have the joy of seeing how they handle Resident Evil 5. Yeah. Uh, Conrad, you played anything else this week? Yeah, but I'm going to save it for next week because I haven't played that much. Okay. Uh, I've got one other thing I'm going to quickly talk about that I've started playing and I'm fascinated by this week. I started playing Pizza Tower. Are either of you aware of Pizza Tower? I have seen this. It's like a 2D platformer inspired by, like, Wario Land, right? It's very speed-focused. It is very Wario Land. Um, so you you are playing as, uh, I believe the character's name is Peppino Spaghetti, a pizza shop owner who a giant evil pizza is threatening to burn down his pizza shop, so you got to climb up the pizza tower. The premise is unimportant. You are playing as 
a very fast-paced, frantic coward with an incredibly satisfying moveset. A lot of the way that like levels are designed and your moveset is built is very warrior. Like some of the later Wario Land games, you have a big sideways charge that can break through big blocks. You pick up enemies and throw them to damage them. Much like some of the later Warrior Lands, you don't take damage if you're hit by enemies. You're just sort of knocked backwards and you don't have like health to lose. The consequence is you you lose combo meter uh, if you're trying to go for high scores. Lots and lots of like hidden collectibles spread throughout levels. But layer on top of Wario Land, a game that wants you to get into a flow state that like wants you moving at like Sonic kind of speeds. But the reason I think this works a lot better than something like Sonic the Hedgehog is, unlike Sonic games, you're usually fairly closely zoomed in, so you can't really see what you're sprinting at high speed towards. The camera is very zoomed back out, and you are, like, the worst punishment you will get if you run into something is, I got knocked back and my I, I have less time to keep my combo up. But you have, like, such good platforming mechanics for speedily running through levels. You have your big sprint. If you sprint for long enough uninterrupted, you can break through big walls. If you leap at a wall while sprinting, you will just scramble up the wall. If you're doing a big sprint and you jump, you can sort of land into a forward roll. There's lots of things that is designed to go like, no matter what happens, just just keep moving. A lot of these mechanics are like not super important in your first pass through of a level trying to find all the little collectibles and secrets. Like a lot of them are uh, like nice mechanics and they feel good to move around with. But the gimmick of the game is basically that once you've spent as long as you want exploring these intricate levels, doing all your platforming, finding all your secrets. At the end of the level, there is a punching bag. And as soon as you punch it, you have a timer to get the fuck out of the level. The gist is, really get used to the level and know its layout, because you will have a time limit, get the fuck out in a very frantic manner. Those escape sequences are the payoff for exploring the levels. The time limit that's there is pretty well balanced so that someone who isn't amazing at these kind of games will get back to the exit with a little bit of time left, but not so much that they're like, oh, I had plenty of time. It's like, oh, the, the clock was really running down. But if you go watch people that know what they're doing with this game, there is so much extra time on the on the table for escape sequences. There is a rank above S rank in the, the, the ranking system in this game. Uh, P rank, which... P for pizza which is you do the escape sequence in the time you're given, and then you go, no, 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 I'm going to do a second lap of the escape sequence with that same timer still ticking down. And the fact that that is possible, but that for an average player it's still balanced well to go, this feels like barely enough time to escape, is really impressive. There are really satisfying little boss fights. For a game that is largely about running and platforming and just like, brute force bashing your way through enemies, I did not expect one-on-one -on -one small encounter boss fights to feel so tailored to the the moveset of the character. It's just a very fun game to move around in, picking up silly googly-eyed slices of pizza and running away as a very terrified pizza man. It is scratching all of the itches of the things I like about War Warrior Land games, but I enjoy this more. I think this is taking what Rory Land does well and going beyond that quite significantly. I really like Pizza Tower so far. I, I want to put more time into it, but Pizza Tower has made like a really good first impression on me. Nice. Yeah. 
should we should we get some newsy bits out of the way quickly and then finish up for the week? Sounds like a plan. So just after we recorded Position last week, uh, there, there was a there was a news story that dropped, uh, and we're gonna get to it in a second. Microsoft has tried to fucking claw this back, but uh, according to an interview with IGN France, you know the game Redfall that's being developed by Arcane Arcane Studios. Mm-hmm. According to game designer Harvey Smith. Microsoft's stance on Redfall coming to PS5 after Zenimax was taken over by Microsoft was no PS5. And the quote that was given, a lot of people have have read it as a PS5 version was in the works and Microsoft told them to cancel it. Now, Microsoft will deny that's what happened, but the quote is, We were acquired by Microsoft and it was a change with a capital C. They came in and said, no PlayStation 5, we're focusing on Xbox, PC, and Game Pass. Smith goes on to say, like, oh, it was probably a good thing, it was one less platform to worry about, less complexity. But IGN's article did use the phrase immediate cancellation on PS5, which, again, made it sound like a PS5 version was in the works and was immediately cancelled upon acquisition, which doesn't look good for Microsoft trying to be like, no, 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 we're not a monopoly, we won't keep things away from other platforms. Microsoft has tried to claw that back. I'll give you some of the quote, but it's it's kind of the nothing response you'd expect. We haven't pulled any games from PlayStation, and we've in fact expanded our footprint of games that we've shipped on Sony's PlayStation since our acquisition of Zenimax. The first two games we shipped after closing were PS5 exclusives. Yeah, because they had to be, because you were already contractually obligated to do so. We did the same since our closing of Minecraft and extended the reach of that franchise. Basically, they're denying that there was ever a PlayStation version. It's just so much of this nonsense. Uh, everyone's fucking up here. Everyone is fucking up here, right? They're fucking up in the reporting. They're fucking up in the response. It's... Yeah. So, that's a whole mess of a thing. Uh, we also have some, some more updates about various countries supporting or not supporting the uh, Microsoft Activision Blizzard King acquisition. Tentatively, it seems like the the UK's uh, Competition and Markets Authority, the CMA, is leaning towards letting it go ahead. Their provisional conclusion swings the pendulum back in favour of the deal completing, uh, according to someone who spoke to Eurogamer. It seems like the UK is going to let it go ahead. We also have the news that Japan has officially approved the takeover. At this point, it is really only the USA that is a major roadblock that hasn't yet been dealt with. If the FTC doesn't disapprove, it's probably going to go ahead. Technology companies are are under more scrutiny than ever right now here in the United States. It's not impossible that regulators will step in, but it it doesn't seem tremendously likely that they're going to be super concerned. I don't know. We'll, We'll see. Weirdly, if anything, they seem more concerned with with PlayStation being a monopoly right now. Well, we are uh, going through a real um, moment in this country with regards to I don't know. I'm just I'm so pissed off about this TikTok ban thing. I I can't even. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's its whole own thing that would take a while to get into. Yeah, it's not it's not worth mess. covering here. Just you know, this no. it's just going to be you know like the largest expansion of state power to monitor its citizens yeah. since the Patriot Act. No big whoop. Yes, 
Yeah, with, with just banning TikTok, we're definitely not Trojan horsing in the ability to, like, completely ban uh, VPNs and monitor all of your traffic and uh, blah, blah, blah. I mean, I don't think that the VPN thing is going to fly. They're going to have to pull that back. There's, yeah. there's just way too many companies that you... Anyway, we're getting off on yeah, this. Yeah. Uh, but yes, to, to, to get back to the video game bit... Uh, U.S. members of Congress have raised concerns to the Biden administration that Sony has a monopoly on the gaming market in Japan. According to Politico, there was a Senate Finance Committee hearing uh, in which it was stated that Sony was engaging in blatant anti-competitive conduct. Uh, basically, I'll read the quote from Senator Maria Cantwell. I'm told that Sony controls a monopoly of 98% of the high-end game market, yet Japan's government has allowed Sony to engage in blatant anti-competitive conduct through exclusive deals and payments to game publishers. So what do you think we can do to address those issues and create a level playing field? Specifically, like, what was being pointed to was, like, Sony sometimes pays to have timed exclusives for things like Final Fantasy on their console. <laughs> so there's this little company, it's called Nintendo. Yeah. I, I don't know if they've heard of it. I'm guessing they don't consider Nintendo the high-end game market. Like, they just put them aside because they're like, no, 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 that's not the high-end game market. I would like to know how much money Microsoft has given in support of Maria Cantwell politically. Mm. I would be very, <laughs> very interested to... Uh, to see that, because this just really feels like a snow job for the deal. Right. Like, I can't prove anything, but it sure has the flavor of someone put some money somewhere to try and distract from Microsoft being a monopoly. The timing is curious, to say the least. And the wording is 100% the kind of shit that Microsoft wants to be arguing about, Sony. Yes. Like, it reads like something they would have put in an argument to the FTC. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. Very, very quick thing that, like, we can just rattle through. Bobby Kotick has promised not to be, uh, not to be vindictive to Sony about, you know, their, their opposition of the, the Microsoft ABK acquisition. Well, it won't fucking matter to him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's just gonna get the fuck out. In an email to Activision Blizzard King staff, Kotick said that Sony's behaviour was disappointing, but won't affect the long-term relationship between the two companies. Yeah, Sony's behaviour won't affect the long-term relationship. The fact they got bought out will affect the long-term relationship, probably, but uh, we don't have to go into it. It's a fucking Kotick quote, but he basically goes, I don't blame Sony for saying we'd make deliberately buggy games. We'll we'll forgive him if if Microsoft buys us. I for one believe Bobby. I've never thought of him as uh, vindictive. I think yeah, it's going to be fine. Yeah. I think it's going to be fine. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he didn't actually have that assistant. He threatened murdered. True. Yeah. True. He only threatened them. He never actually carried out the murderous threat. So yeah, yeah. yeah you know, he lets bygones be bygones. He does let bygones be bygones. And then the last story for this week, that a nice light place to, to finish up for the week. It is seeming increasingly likely that E3 2023 is probably going to be cancelled, or if it does go ahead, it's going to be... Uh, it, it ain't going to be the E3 people might have expected or that they might have wanted to bring back. This starts with... We, we had a few more official announcements of companies not going to E3. So, like, Microsoft announced they're not coming to E3. Nintendo announces they're not coming to E3. 
Ubisoft then announces they're not going to attend E3. Sony is rumored to be skipping E3. We don't know officially, but it is it is rumored they will they will be skipping the event. Now Sega has backed out of attending E3 this year, according to YGN, and so have Tencent. Oof. Uh, so we've now got the list, uh, the ones that, like, seem to be the case. Microsoft, Nintendo, Sony, Ubisoft, Sega, and Tencent all missing. And a bunch of industry people are going, yeah, it sounds like Reed Pop is seriously considering not running the event. Well, okay, so that leaves, uh, Capcom, Square Enix. I think that's it for the big ones. No, 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 there's gotta be, uh, uh, whoever does World of Tanks. Wargaming, we can't ignore that yeah. uh, as much as I would yeah. like to. I'm looking at a list. EA. Yep. Oh, yeah. Electronic. Well, and Activision Blizzard still could, too. EA could show up, but they tend to do their own EA play thing, so yep. probably not. Bandai Namco could show up. Take two. Uh, Tech McCoy. It's not that there's no one who could show up. Yeah. But the... <sighs> it's dire, though. Yeah, the rumblings, like, since IGN posted their, their story about, about like, uh, Sega and Tencent pulling out, a lot of people who were at GDC this past week, conversations behind closed doors at GDC have been like, who who is even going? And lots of, like, publishers losing confidence in attending themselves, and it seems like it might all implode. It's sort of like, uh, like, like, like if, if, uh, if some, you know, particularly powerful, notable people who have a bunch of, you know, money in a bank all took their money mm. out of the bank and then told everybody, hey, we're taking all of our money out of this bank. Yeah, and everyone started to panic and go, well, maybe we should do the same. If they're not confident, you know, attending E3, maybe maybe we should pull out of E3 and... Mm. Thank goodness this sort of thing is just isolated to games industry trade shows. Yeah. Nothing's falling apart. So yeah, if E3 goes ahead, uh, good luck to them. Yeah. Good luck. Good luck. <laughs> there you go. That's, that's all the stuff for this week. We did it. We're done. Good for us. Yeah. Good for my head and my eyes. So I can now lie down in the dark and feel sorry for myself. Which I actually do as a matter of hobby, but now I've got a real medical reason to do it. While I do that, Laura, me, please don't keep our listeners in the dark about the other stuff you do that you they could look at and have a look at it and a listen. You can find all the stuff I do at Laura K Buzz pretty much everywhere on the internet. If there's a place that you put a username in, it's going to be Laura K Buzz. Twitter, Twitch, TikTok, YouTube, Patreon, all of them. Patreon's the one that pays the bills. As little as a dollar a month really, really helps. Go check out on YouTube. It'll be up by the time that this uh, posts. I did a 10-minute video about The Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom and the new weapon fusing mechanic and some predictions based on Breath of the Wild of things that might be doable in that game because they have introduced some fucking wild mechanics for that sequel and I'm very fascinated by what they might do with it accessibility as well is also over on youtube i do accessibility reviews of video games go go check those out what about you conrad oh you can find me at conrad zimmerman on twitter and instagram you can hang out with me live on twitch at twitch.tv slash that conrad zimmerman you could also listen to me on let's talk about snacks where i talk about snacks and you could check out red planet which is a 
leftist roundtable that I help produce. It releases every week. It's a live stream. It's a YouTube VOD. It's a podcast. Go check it out. It's all about how we can come together and try to make the world a better place. And everything I do online gets supported through Patreon at patreon.com slash fistshark. And you know who else has a Patreon? Who? James Stephanie Sterling. Oh, wow, that's me. Hello. Uh, Patreon.com slash Jimquisition, that's that. Uh, I also allegedly live stream. I have not managed to do it again this week, and I don't know if I'll be doing it tonight, Wednesday, when we record, because of this fucking head. But ostensibly, I live stream at Twitch TV slash Jim Sterling. Um, My next... I won't go through all my wrestling dates right now, but my next announced one is April 22nd in Preston, uh, where I will be representing as the PCW Women's Champion in a triple threat match uh, at a show called First Time Ever. So do check that out if you can get to Preston April 22nd. That's PCW. Uh, until then, uh, PCW's Women's Champion is signing off. Thank you all very much for listening. As per usual, I'm the PCW Women's Champion. Thank you, Laura and Conrad for joining the PCW Women's Champion here on Podquisition and we will PCUW next week We will PCW Yeah, that would have worked That would have worked It would have God damn it (laughs) Bye Bye